Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics. Episode 123. I am your host, Matt Hannafin. I'm here with my co-host, Isaiah Bros. Isaiah, what's going on, man? Feeling good. Start of a new week. More content to be had, so just looking forward to getting into it. Last football game was felt like a long time ago. I mean, yeah. usually it's on a Saturday. This last time it was on a Thursday. It's We're recording this on Monday. It feels like seven years ago. Thanks, Thursday. Appreciate that. We won't have to deal with that anytime soon, hopefully. So Yeah. Still weird. Still the performance we wanted to see. but Right. Anyways, we'll get into that in a little bit. We have some news to talk about that recently just broke like 20 minutes ago. 20, yeah, if that. 20, 30 minutes ago. So this is Mountain West basketball related. Usually they have an 18-game non-conference or 18-game conference schedule. They officially announced per John Rothstein that the league schedule will be 20 games this season to limit travel. And the format that they're doing that in is each program will have five home series and five road series. So they essentially they'd be playing two games on the road back-to-back, maybe not back-to-back days, but back-to-back against the same team, which is a really interesting format. I think only like the Big West does that. I don't know if anyone else is doing that this year per se, but I still find it to be a really interesting format for this year. And I mean, it's a smart idea because you, again, limit travel because of COVID. It's a little unbalanced because you could play like San Diego State on the road twice or Utah State on the road twice. But then again, likewise, you could also have San Jose State at home twice. And so it benefits you in that sense. What are your initial thoughts, Isaiah? I mean, considering the circumstances and especially with everything going on right now, I think they kind of, I think the Mountain West kind of played this right I think they kind of played their hand in a good way and just trying to limit travel as much as you can is so important because we're still seeing so many games canceled within the conference just in football alone I can only imagine the chaos when basketball ensues so I think it's smart for them to just take some sort of initiative and yeah it's going to be weird but at some points it's going to play to our favor and it's going to play to our disadvantage as well you just have to go with it I'm excited to see who we play at home back-to-back games because that will be really interesting and all of a sudden it's gonna be so weird too because like you saw last year how you know hey let, we played San Diego State on the road and then they came to Lawler what was that two three weeks later it's a big game that may not be the case anymore you may just get your games out of the way snip snap in a hurry and you won't you know you may not even have a chance to see them again come tournament play if that's the case so in terms of the regular season, you know, it's a big initiative and a big step forward to take, which I applaud the conference for. It's just going to be really interesting to see who exactly we play on the road and who exactly we play at home. And that's going to be something we can really kind of tie together. So. Yeah, I wonder when the schedule is going to be released for that. I don't think it's been announced yet. No, it is not. And for the 18-game schedule was released a month ago. Nevada was originally going to start. I think the season was going to start on December 28th for conference, but Nevada was going to start January 2nd at San Jose State. And this time they just start in, I think, early December and end the last week of February. So it gives the Mountain West time to, like, let's say there is a cancellation. It gives the Mountain West time to reschedule those games. And so there's, like, a big leeway. And it also trims down the non-conference games from 9 to 7. And that might not help Nevada a lot because it's like the caliber of teams that you could be playing that could affect you in March. Because if you're not playing as many big non-conference games or winning as many big non-conference games that the committee looks at that. And if there is going to be a March Madness or an NIT or a CBI, like whatever tournament they're going to be, there's not going to be a big enough sample size of non-conference games for that. And so the committee is going to look at that. So that disadvantages the Mountain West in that sense, but it's happening for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the conference is looking at this thinking, oh, we need to think about March Madness, or we need to think about CBI, we need to think about NIT. Are we sure? I don't even think there's as much certainty coming into this year that March Madness or any you know real big postseason tournament can be played this year. Maybe not. And you know what? If that's the case, credit the Mountain West once again for thinking ahead and just saying, okay, well, we're going to limit non-conference, focus on conference, and just limit travel in general, let alone cross-country travel potentially for 
non-conference games as much as they can. So I just think this is a big kind of step forward. It's like a little bit of both. It's like taking the initiative right now, but then again, giving you that flexibility in case as the season progresses, something occurs and you can, you know, fix it potentially in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see once again, but I'm excited. At least we have some form of college basketball and something that's somewhat solidified to this point. So they're going to have to announce it quick because the season starts two weeks from Wednesday, the 25th of November. Yeah, time is ticking. But yeah. I don't. I think they'll pump out the schedule in a hurry. I think they already have something in Probably. mind yeah. to this point. Just haven't released it yet. And when they do, best believe we'll talk about it. So, For sure, for sure. It was also announced, we're getting back to football here. It was announced during the game on Thursday that Nevada, New Mexico is going to be moved to Las Vegas. I mean, it's not surprising to me because New Mexico has been in Las Vegas since November 2nd, but Nevada's, we're going back down south again, I guess. Can't like, get enough. Right. Are what we if, bringing the cannon with us or what? That'd be so great. Oh, How great would that be? Oh, <laughs> we just freaking man. bring that in with us. How yes. great would that be? Oh, yeah. It's, okay, so the game's going to be played at Sam Boyd Stadium, the former home in the UNLV Rebels. Kind of sucks they're still not there. Yeah. Because if, I mean... That'd be a hilarious My troll. goodness. Just rub it. A hilarious. Hey, did you miss us? <laughs> Do you remember what we did just two weeks prior? Yeah, we're back. But unfortunately, it's not at Allegiant Stadium. But That would yeah. be cool to get another Allegiant Stadium game. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Probably not. I mean, <laughs> the Las Vegas Bowl. Not going to happen. <laughs> not happening. But you know what? That being in Las Vegas, once again... Kind of a neutral road environment for us. so It is considered a neutral site game. I'm looking forward to that because you saw how we played two weeks ago in Las Vegas. Not trying to say like those games really compare, but just kind of being back down south, keeping it in state, it's important. I'll take that. And it was moved because there's been problems with the coronavirus and COVID in New Mexico, and they had like a mass gathering. of there. There's a limit on mass gatherings of five people. Which is wild, absurd. I yeah. mean, we like just... you could, it's like sitting down at home for like a dinner or something with like your family. Like that's considered math. I mean, it makes a little sense, and they're being really precautious about it, which I respect. But five people is like wow. So they've been out of the state for a little while. New Mexico might be playing all of their games out of the state of New Mexico, which is insane. If that's the case, I'm so sorry. I mean that that just puts your season in a whirlwind because. Even if you're playing neutral site games, like let's say they have to play at Las Vegas the rest of the year, still you didn't practice there the whole year. They might be. They might have to. Man, that would. Gosh, that just really would be a huge blow to their season. But like you said, it kind of has to be the case. Yeah. I mean, and it's like it's not like they're playing an entire twelve game season there. It'll be two more games in Las Vegas, or three more. They're only playing three games at home this year, and Nevada's going to be the first one because they had San Jose State move to San Jose the first week of the season, and they just played Hawaii. And so now they're going to have – Nevada's going to be the first team at home they play, and they're going to have two more later in the season. So they're going to be playing three in Las Vegas this year and then the rest on the road. That's rough. That is not ideal. I can no. guarantee New Mexico came into the year not expecting that, but – you just have to go with the times. I mean, we've seen countless football games already canceled. We're, what, three weeks in? I mean, that's I know we keep saying this every podcast, but we're just so lucky to be playing every single week and having— And that's really the hope of this season for Nevada is that they can play the entire eight-game schedule and still play a bowl game if there is or a Mountain West championship if they make it. And once again, the continuity just— with so much uncertainty, you're starting to really see Nevada's chemistry just being together these past two years really unfold, and I think they're really using it to their advantage. So I guess we'll see. But, yeah, going back to Las Vegas. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> no fans are allowed to attend. Sad face. It's okay. Hey, we've won without fans this season already. Well, I mean, that's... Not technically true because of the 250 people allowed at Mackey, which is like the family. So may it, it this will be the new this will be a new environment. Yeah, we'll be prepped. We'll be ready to go. 
And we have some awards. Brandon Talton was named this Mountain West Special Teams Player of the Week. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Oh, yeah, for sure. I didn't realize this during – I mean, I should have just because of hashtag math. But he had four PATs and two field goals in the game. I just didn't realize that when I was looking at it this morning. Yeah, it's getting to the point with Brandon Talton. Like, anytime I see him come onto the field for a field goal attempt, I'm already kind of writing it down as if he made the field goal. Ever since Purdue, he's just been that way. He's just automatic, and he's so good. I can't can't say enough about him. Four for four on PATs, two for two on field goals, 26-yarder and a 36-yarder, which for him are basically chip shots. And he just hasn't been on the field a lot. This He's only had six field goal attempts in three games. That I mean, yeah, it doesn't scoring, feel like a lot because we're just scoring we're touchdowns. Se- we're scoring six instead of three. <laughs> right. We only need him for the PAT. Right. Which is chip shot. Yeah. Keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. More points equals more success. I don't know if you know that, but the more points you score, the Seems greater chance you have to win a game. That's a statistical fact. Just how it is. He is one of two kickers in the Mountain West and one of 17 kickers in the entire nation to be perfect on the season with six six field goal times. Automatic. It's as simple as that. So having someone like that in your back pocket too, anytime there's a clutch drive that, you know, maybe needs to end in a field goal. maybe needs Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> Just go back to Purdue. You that's so, that's a per- No, but it's like a perfect example it of is. that. And he's... Dating back to last season, he's made 12 consecutive attempts. Knock on wood for that. Hopefully um, that can keep going for him. Yeah, he's been tremendous, and he'll only improve. He's that good, so well-deserved award. And a player that we're going to be talking about shortly. I mean, we haven't – we're giving Talton out because we haven't really talked about him a lot this year. We should have, but we haven't. Knock on us. Yeah, I mean – it's he's been, been like, he's been outstanding this year. He's been great. And you you're just seeing the eye popping numbers from the offense that you forget that Brandon Talton not only has been perfect but relied upon whenever he's been called. And I know that may seem like oh he, that's his you know that's part of his job that's part of his duty as a player. It's not always easy. Not I don't care what level you're in you know the NFL college football I don't know you could be kicking field goals for your local. Flag football team. I don't know. Flag football teams. Oh, yeah. Do they always go for two, don't they? It's, yeah. Or at least when I played flag, it was, you would go for one, and that would be on the five-yard line, or you could go for two, which would be on, like, the ten-yard line. It's just a weird thing. Well, if you are kicking. That was years and years ago. Maybe the times have changed. Maybe they're starting to implement a flag football kicker. They're not. And if that's the case. That's not a thing. Watch out, because I may sign up for that. That's not a thing. Okay. It's in Pop Warner, though. Pop Warner okay, would be Pop a good example. Warner. It's another good good example. You know, missed kicks happen, except when you're Brandon Tolton, and he's just been tremendous to this year. Deserves a lot more credit. Our second award that was announced this week is Carson Strong was named to the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback Award Great Eight List, which is like a weekly award. Obviously, we'll get into his statistical numbers pretty soon, but... Let's do it right now? Let's do, wanna, it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, right why not? Now. Wait. Before we get in, we I mean, we're like pivoting away from Carson Strong. Sorry, Carson. But Nevada's getting national recognition here. We didn't mention this last week. Second week in a row, they have received votes to the top 25 coaches poll. They received five this week, three last week. And this week is the first week of the season. Nevada finally received a vote for the AP top 25. They didn't make it, but they received a vote. Three games in. If you would be telling me we'd be getting that type of national attention, I'd be eating it up. That's just a testament to how well they've been playing. And you're seeing them come out consistently and perform against their competition. And not a lot of teams can say that right now. And you saw from last week against Utah State, they just came out. Maybe, a, you know, we'll get into it, obviously, but brushed off a slow start and then just absolutely dominated from that point on. And you're just seeing this team come together and talking with head coach Jay Norvell in the post-game press conference, he was saying, you know, just how proud he is that this team is coming together, but not only that, how much better they can be, how much more they can improve upon. And we're going to start seeing that. We still have five games left in the regular season. This team can get better. 
and we're already garnering national it's attention. It's scary. It's scary. It's just going to be something to really keep an eye on and for us to garner some national attention. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long, right. long time. So just to get anything like that is well-deserved and just how well the team has been playing as a whole. You can't ask for much better at this point. I went on the pack center Twitter on Sunday, and I see just Kirk Herbstreet first thing on my timeline shout Nevada out and how this is like a fun team to watch. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, thanks, Kirk. First Shaq, now Kirk. Yeah, first Shaq, now Kirk. Um, and do you want to know who the lone Nevada voter was for the AP Top 25 poll? Who? This guy named Theo Lawson, spokesman review in uh, Spokane, Washington. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully we'll be getting more of those. Yeah. You know, it's just so cool to he see Nevada, that kind of cultivate and come together. He had Nevada 25th, so. Hey, I mean. We will take it. Yeah, I mean, this has been a, it's been a while since Nevada's been getting this much hype this early in the season. So what has been garnering that hype? Well, we'll transition. Right, yeah, we'll get right into it. <laughs> At 34-9 to nine victory over Utah State, I know before we really get into the statistical analysis of everything i'm gonna start taking the uh take it the over on the spread i'm no longer betting against nevada okay they've come out as double digit favorites in both of their games these last two weeks that wouldn't be taking the over that'd be asking them to cover i'm sorry i've been thinking of the over under <laughs> i'm gonna start saying nevada's gonna cover from here on out no more i'm not doubting vegas and i'm not doubting nevada football i can't believe you know, I gave Utah State the benefit of the doubt that hopefully they come out with some fire and intensity looking to get into the win column to start their year. That was not the case if we were talking from 7.52 on in the first quarter, basically. I mean, that's that was it. From that point on, Nevada flat out dominated over 500 yards of total offense. Carson Strong, who we previously mentioned for the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback Award, grade 8 list, 36 of 52. 411 yards, three touchdowns. What more can you say? There's not much. I mean, he's just been truly spectacular. I mean, he has 282 straight passes without an interception, and that garnered some uh, attention on the CBS broadcast. Yeah, correct? it did. Yeah. He's 24 attempts away from tying Derek Carr's record, which was set in 2013 of 306 straight attempts. Maybe he surpasses that. Maybe he doesn't. Only time will tell, but... It's the second most in Mountain West history and, as we mentioned before, leads the nation still. I mean, five straight 350-plus yard games. This is just a completely— Has anyone, like, done that in Nevada ever? I know or, Chris like, Murray when, was, or, like, when was the last time that's happened? I know Chris Murray was looking into that, but— Was he? Yeah. Okay. I, I know he, sent some, he sent something out, like he was going into his garage to find— media pamphlets from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s to see oh my. how well Carson Strong was playing because that's he's just been absolutely ridiculous. And you, I don't know if, if you watch the game, this is a completely different quarterback. He is attacking it's, so he much. Looks, there's parts last year where he would attack downfield. Like there'd be like some flashes. be like, okay, like take a deep shot here and there or throw down the field here and there. But a lot of it last year was, again, taking what the defense gives you. And sometimes, like, he wouldn't have enough time, so he would check it down underneath or just something like that. And this year, it's it just looks completely different through three games. The amount of confidence he has, not only in himself, but his receivers, you just see him step up with so much, like, com composure and moxie. It's just crazy. I, and the, the accuracy... On some of these throws, these aren't just difficult throws. I mean, we're going to get into it, but that first touchdown pass, rolling to his right, just to find that ball, just to get that ball to the end zone was just spectacular. It was very impressive in that regard. You know, obviously, Strong provided the fireworks, so who was the receiving end of those fireworks? N the one and only. <laughs> Romeo Doves. Who else? Who else? Nobody. Like, who else? I mean... Okay, just when he threw that 40-yard touchdown on the run... 42-yard. 40, yeah, 42-yard or two dubs on the run. It's just like, oh, who else? Who else is going to make a play on the ball like that? 
Who else is going to shade away the DB to make that catch? Was that offensive pass interference? No. I do not think so. Okay, I was afraid live in real time. I thought they were going to throw it. I... I thought there was a little bit of touching going on on both sides. I just think it was crediting Dubs to box out and to get that ball. And once again, the two of them connected for seven catches, 137 yards, and three touchdowns, all in the first half. Now, unfortunately, Dubs did not get a single reception in the second half, but he made up for it more than enough within those first 20 minutes. And funny enough, Friday morning... Just running on the treadmill, getting a couple miles in, and I look up. I see ESPN. I see uh, it's Get Up. Is it going was on. It Get Up? It was Get Up. And they're showing highlights of Nevada, Utah State. And they're showing highlights of Romeo Dubs. And I'm like, all right, sweet. All of a sudden, they bring up a graphic, and it shows who's been better, Romeo Dubs or Devontae Adams of the Green Bay Packers. What? And they showed a statistical category over their last three games. Devontae Adams had one more receiving touchdown, but I think Dubs had almost 20 more yards. Wait, were they talking about his last three games in the NFL or last three games in college? His last three games in the NFL of okay. this season. Because okay. okay. Devontae Adams, I don't know if you follow the NFL, but he's been absurd. He's been absolutely crazy and just ridiculous. As a Viking fan, he st- sticks a thorn in my side, so. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, just to see those two comparisons statistically, I was blown away because that's how great Dubs has been this year. I mean, once again, Strong and Dubs at this point are knocking on the door of Mountain West Player of the Year. They continue this. I mean, you, you cannot ignore them. They're just posting eye-popping, just mind-boggling numbers. Yeah, Strong's top two in nearly every major statistical category. And Dubs is in the. Is he still ranking first in every category of his? Yes, he is. He leads the Mountain West in receptions with 26. He leads the Mountain West in receiving yards with 473. Three games in. <laughs> and he also leads the Mountain West in receiving touchdowns. Do you want to take a guess at. See if you could do a little math in your head. Okay. How many receiving yards per game is that? 473 divided by 3, that's close to 120, 153 yards a game. Close. Is it 157? It's 157.7. Freaking knew it. Why am I not a math major? If you knew it, you would have answered it on the I'm first I'm a try. math major, man. I should have really done that. If you, if you knew it, you would have guessed it on the first try. You know, I was leaning 157 the whole time. I just Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think that 157 mark is one of the top figures in the nation. He has been just out of his mind absurd. The second leading player in yards per game in the Mountain West Conference, Cleo Shakir, who was a very good player, probably the best player in the conference heading into the season outside of Warren Jackson, or at least one of the best players. He has 40 more yards per game than Cleo Shakir right now. That is lapping him. That's, <laughs> That's insane. That's ridiculous. Holy crap. It just shows you the type of numbers this offense is putting up. And it hasn't just been Romeo Dubs. You know, Justin Lockhart and Cole Turner got theirs as well. And they've just been key cogs to this offense. And you saw it. You know, I guess we're just going to get into the offensive side of things. So it was a complete package. I think this week's performance, or last week's performance, was overall, offensively speaking, the most balanced attack. Toa Tower ran for... Season high, 107 yards. Had that bowling ball of a touchdown. We'll talk about that a little later. It was great. Devontae Lee added some sparks out of the backfield. Once again, Avery Morrow, just being that kind of security plug out of the backfield as well in the receiving end, he was very impressive. Melquan Stovall got a few catches early on. And once again, just this is a complete unit without Elijah Cooks, who, breaking news, according to Chris Murray, will have season-ending shoulder surgery, which we touched upon. Yep. So it is officially official that he will be out for the year, but, you know, I know we talked about this last week, just seeing who will step up in this offense, and I think you're starting to really see who's becoming that true number two between Cole Turner or Justin Lockhart. Both of them have stepped up and really performed well to this part, and 
I really don't think this will slow down the offense at all. This is just a complete unit. You're seeing them fire on all cylinders, and they've just been so impressive up to this point. What's What's been the biggest takeaway for you through these three games, or just maybe focusing on Utah State? This is how just much this offense has been clicking. I mean, you've talked about it already. Also, how many receivers that not just dubs, but strong is throwing to? Yeah, spreading the wealth, right? And probably just thinking about it, Cole Turner. He's top 10 in the Mountain West in receptions, and he's top five in the Mountain West in receiving yards per game and receiving yards. We've talked about dubs time and time and time and time again. It's like we can't stop talking about dubs, but Cole Turner sneakily had a very good season as a number two, two dubs, and Justin Lockhart isn't really that far behind him. No, they've both been so tremendous to this point. They've just exceeded expectations as soon as week one started, and I think that's why when we talked last week, when we didn't have that much, you know, discomfort hearing the Cooks injuries because you've seen throughout that point just how well Lockhart, Turner, and Stovall have performed. And it seems like on a weekly basis, one of them are trading off that number two role. And it's just, you're seeing it with Cole Turner right now. That position change to tight end is truly unlocking his potential. He has. He's not even playing like a tight end. He, he has. He's not. He's. But he's also. Up. But like the times he does play like a tight end is when he's like blocking downfield and he's looking really good on that. He has end. the speed and this acceleration to just get past linebackers. He just eats them up over the middle, and he's a first down machine. He really knows how to turn the chains. It seems like Strong looks his way anytime there's a third and you know third and medium, third and long. On a lot of occasions, Turner is that kind of safety valve. And this offense, like you said, just continues to roll. And it's really starting to garner some national attention. And it's exciting to see. And this running game has been everything with the passing game, as we've talked about, has opened up the running game and has opened up lanes for Tawa and Devontae and Morrow when he's able to check in. Like He's able to open up holes for him. It's just another aspect of this offense that doesn't get enough credit to this point because the run game truly put the game out of hand because it was just milk in the clock. Time We dominated time of possession, and it wasn't because we had huge plays every single drive. Obviously, we connected on a few big plays to dubs, which we'll obviously get into, but just having that consistent running game was so impactful because it kept the ball you know, obviously in keeps our hands, them honest. keeps them honest and lets our defense rest. And that's what truly just put this game out of hand. I mean, they just couldn't stop getting first downs. It's just, this offense just couldn't stop rolling. It was awesome to see, and credit goes to the run game in that regard. It's not all on the arm of Carson Strong. This is a very well-balanced offense. You have to respect both aspects of it. I mean, it slowed the offense slowed down a little bit in the fourth, but the game was already out of hand by then. I mean, we saw Nate Cox yeah. in the fourth quarter. So mm-hmm. Nate Cox sighting. Six foot nine. Very tall. That's really tall. Very tall. I mean, Coach Norvell was talking about how It's not short. When he enters the locker room, he's one of I think he's one of the only players who has to duck. Yeah. Heading into a locker room. I mean, that just shows you how tall he is. And so yeah, if that doesn't show you how dominant Nevada was offensively and defensively. Yeah, that's another like big takeaway. Uh, this defense was, I mean, we didn't we didn't have a whole lot of like pressure on Shelley or on Andrew Paisley when he was in, but we still made it difficult. I mean, to an extent, some of Utah State's mishaps came from drops and came from inaccuracies from the quarterback spot. And credit to our defense for just keeping up the intensity. Uh, like you said, we didn't really stuff the stat sheet. He only had one sack on the night. Uh, credit to Amir Johnson, his first career Wolfpack sack. Congratulations. But that Utah State offense, we touched upon how bad it was in the recap. My goodness. It looked it, – I thought it was going to be better. We both said it was going to be better. Throw an old takes exposed on our head. Please do. I mean, that's why from here on out, I'm no longer doubting Nevada. When they're double-digit advantages, according to Vegas, yeah, I can see why now because, my goodness, that Utah State offense was – bad and you know our defense in a lot of aspects made it a lot harder but 
just some of the fundamentals of picking up first downs and just keeping drives alive. They couldn't do it. They had a, I don't know if you saw it, when we were up 21-9 to after Dubs, I think it was his third touchdown of the night at that point, because all three, Dubs scored the first right. three yeah, touchdowns of the game. Strong two Dubs, I should say. You won't believe this. They had a 14-second three and out. 14-second three that. and out. Wow. Three straight incompletions, punt. But once again, credit to our defense, you know, just keeping some consistent pressure. I know you mentioned last week one of the key takeaways was keeping Shelly in the pocket. He got loose early on, Mm -hmm. and maybe that's one of the things we do have to talk about heading into that first quarter. Let's start it off with the safety. So not the best on our end. Um, Utah State came out, forced the safety on the ensuing possession when we had to punt. They come down what was that almost like a 45 50 yard drive for a score they go up nine to zero and at that point it was still very early on but I was quite surprised to see that because even on that scoring drive I didn't think they looked all that impressive it was a good start for them and we looked a little asleep and I mean we could talk about this now if you want to how good do you think it was for Nevada to get kind of punched in the mouth early because this is the first that this is the first adversity they faced all season. No, that you bring up a great point because usually we're the ones up seven nothing, fourteen to nothing to give our defense that kind of leeway to maybe play more aggressively to attack the gaps. Heading down nine to zero, our defense really had to show up because our offense did not start off. I know the scoreboard says we dominated from the first quarter, you know, from whistle to whistle, but that wasn't the case. It really relied on some of our defensive efforts to keep the deficit at what it was at 9-0 to zero before our offense really started to click. And we talked about it a little bit, which team was going to come out slow because it was a short week. We didn't know what to expect from either team, really. And Utah State was the first to throw a punch, and Nevada just threw a bunch of haymakers right back. Knocked us back a little bit. It's kind of stymied us, but we responded as good as you would want a team to respond in that type of situation, despite only being down 9-0. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's something to look forward to. That's one of the things Norvell mentioned was just so much more to improve upon. And that was one of the aspects is having that type of deficit, even if it is 9-0, to start the game off with a safety and then giving up a touchdown and not really finding any sort of rhythm on offense or defense. Yeah, it's something to really keep an eye on, and I think we'll really use that heading into next week and throughout the rest of the year. Just something that we can really just kind of look upon, say, hey, we can come out of anything. We don't need a 14-point lead to really solidify wins. We can come back in some aspects. So, Yeah, and Nevada on their first three drives had a turnover on downs, a safety like you mentioned, and then a punt. What do you think just – Going off beginning game, what do you think on that turnover on downs? Like, we were, I think, on our own 42, 43-yard line, rushed a towel. We got bottled up in the backfield for a loss of two, three yards. I did not mind that play call because I honestly thought we were going to convert and move the chains. But credit to Utah State because they kind of came up in the run game at that point and, you know, forced a turnover on downs. I did not mind that call. Faith in your defense, faith in your offense early on in the game. At that point, we were kind of starting, I don't know, we we were obviously starting slow, so I thought maybe converting on that fourth down could... I think we had one first down prior to that, and that was the first play of the game on a green pass to Dubs that ran for 10 yards. So maybe it can translate to something, but... It was um, our only fourth down failure of the game. We went four for five. And here's another like question I want to ask you. This doesn't just have to be limited to Nevada football and what we've seen in these games, but it could be across college football, high school football, or even like NFL. Teams are going for it more on fourth and short situations. What do you like? What do you think about that? Because it's like we're at midfield. You're not seeing as many teams punt anymore. You're seeing teams on fourth and inches, fourth and one, fourth and two, try to go for it and extend their drive. No, Potentially I... get seven points instead of three. I love it. I love the aggressive approach. And there's a lot of statistical data to back that up. Right. It's more efficient. And I know, like, switching gears a little bit, like, looking into the Ravens last year, they went 14-2, and and they were one of the highest fourth-down conversion teams. And a lot of that was due to a 
think it was a Harvard graduate they hired to look at certain fourth down plays, and they went for it on many occasions, and it made them one of the best regular season teams in the entire NFL because they were able to convert just so effectively. And yeah, I think that's really starting to become the trend in football in general is to take that chance because it does instill faith and some sort of confidence in your offense and your defense. And, and it, you, it just analytically makes sense. It does. I mean, why would you punt on your own midfield if it's a fourth and two? Get those two yards and keep the drive alive and you could potentially score seven. Don't settle for three if you're on you know, the opposing team's 30-yard line. If it's a fourth and one, especially especially in college, considering there's a percentage of kickers that can kick 45, 50, 55 yards. Not all of them can. Not we, all of them have the leg to. Do we have one? Yes. Yeah. But even then, we still may go for it on fourth down. It's just, just a testament to how good Brandon Talton was. He made a 56-yard field goal in his first ever collegiate game to win the game. For the win. For the win. Shout out. So hey, we do. Yeah, we do have one. Yeah, but. No, do your credit. You bring up a very interesting question. How do you feel about that? Do you agree with me? Oh, 100%. Analytically makes sense. Keeps the drive going. Again, as you mentioned, it instills confidence in both your offense if you convert and your defense because it's like, all right, I trust my defense enough to stay on the field and potentially get a stop if we don't convert here. And if you convert, it gives your defense more of a rest, especially if you haven't particularly had a first down on that drive. And just to keep the drive going, keep the drive moving. We saw it against UNLV. UNLV sustained, like, I don't know what, a billion drives? Because they went for it on fourth down every time. I mean, they were in a situation where they had to because they were down by a couple scores and they needed to get some points back and they couldn't afford to do it, but still. It was the only thing keeping them in the game. Right. And I know, you know, heading into playing Utah State, that turnover on downs didn't work in our favor, but being down 9-0, Nevada, from that point on, just picked it up you know on the ensuing drive when we go down nine nothing strong four for four 80 yards and a 42 yard touchdown to dubs i know we highlighted that special throw he made just off his back foot getting that ball to the end zone and credit dubs for making a play on the ball readjusting and nice catch yeah <laughs> it was nice yeah for someone his size he's kind of smaller in some aspects he's I think six he's two a... is he six two yeah okay He's really fast for a 6'2 player, but yeah, he's 6'2. So he's not super You think of him just for his speed, but no, he's got some size and some physicality to him, and he showed it on that play. That was an impressive play. Heading into the second quarter, I know that, once again, <laughs> this Nevada offense just continues. Picked up the steam. Yeah, I mean, once again, we converted on a fourth and goal situation, which was huge for us, so that was one of our fourth down conversions. and From the th- Three-yard line, I yeah. three- or four-yard line. And then, once again, on a touchdown, I think it was a three-yard touchdown to Dubs. Nice slant route across the middle. Good play from Strong to just really find the opening. Who else? Yeah. That was just a really smooth play to take the lead from that point on. And, and the momentum on those drives started. You, you could uh, feel uh, yeah. it. I think at that point you really could tell who the better football team was. The fact that Utah State even had a 9 to nothing lead, not to discredit them because they came out with a certain fire and passion that we somewhat expected, but they just really struggle on both sides of the football. They have some serious, serious talent issues. I just don't think they can really, they really have any solid contributor outside of, I mean, Jalen, who am I thinking of the running back for? Jalen Warren didn't look like himself at all. And then we have... Not one, not two, but the third touchdown from Strong to Dubs on a 54-yard bomb. That throw by Strong. Couldn't have been better. I mean, he was—he didn't even need to step up fully in the pocket. He just let that thing rip. Holy, <laughs> what a throw. And what a play by Romeo Dubs. Just to get past the safety, just to burn him. Just to... It wasn't even the safety. It was the corner that was flat-footed. Oh, my God. He was 10, 15 yards off of Dubs, and Dubs just blew right past him. Just just an impressive play. Credit to Dubs for not slowing down. Oh my. I don't think he knows how to, honestly. No, he doesn't. He's always in his sixth gear, and he, you see it. He just, oh my goodness, that connection is just ridiculous to this point. So, And I think the next drive, next drive or one of the drives after that, he almost connected with him again. Barely got past the reach of Dubs. May have gone through his hands, but 
barely passed him. No, it was literally almost on his fingertips. Right. He almost it was, made contact with him. That would have been from 45, 50 yards out, too. That would have been a new career high for Dubs. He would have reached over his 211-yard mark he set against UNLV the week prior. So... What that wait? That would that only would have been fifty yards. Yeah, he had. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm forget that. My bad. I keep thinking he had like way more, but he only only it had one. Felt like he had more than 137 yards. <laughs> but you know, just coming into halftime with the 21-9 lead, at that point, did you really think that Nevada was ever going to like let this lead get away? No. No. no, I mean, I know there's still plenty of football left, and yeah. I always like to say it's not over till it hits triple zeros at the end of the game, but Nevada had all the momentum. Um, I didn't. I was expecting more fight from Utah State in the second half. Not the case. Nope. And I, I think the run game really started to show out in the second half and to open the third quarter. Just, you want to describe this touchdown run by Toa Tower? I mean, I think you described it perfectly Thursday night. I'm try. What did I say? Just, I think you said he was like trounced. Oh, he trounced. Yeah, he, yeah, he broke a tackle off one guy, like bounced off him, and I was like, oh. And then there's one. He, yeah, he there's one, and then another guy tried to tackle him. I think it was like inside the five, and he just like spun around and dove and crossed the pile, and it's like, oh. What a run. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he was just, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like a bowling ball. Yeah, I mean, funny here on the dock, it literally says, broke approximately 100 tackles because it felt that way. It it definitely he, felt that way. He faced contact as soon as he touched the ball. And he just, he, it's one of his best abilities is to just keep running. I think that's one of his and Lee's best abilities is just like, they never stop. They don't. You can't just bring them down. No, they're so not easily. easy to bring down. And you know what? Once again, Toa Towers looking slippery. He's got some sneaky agility. He showcased that. Maybe not on that run, but I think he did on that run. Juke. Yeah. It just he's been great. And a couple catches out the backfield. He was really just a complete force. I think he had what seven catches. Team high yeah, seven. Yeah, he was used a lot. Like they would do pre-snap motions. I mean, they've done this in the past, but they did a lot of pre-snap motions with them and. He would just be relied on on the swing pass, and he'd be like a, just a check down option for Strong. Or he, that would be a design play. It's like, okay, we'll throw it to you, and we'll get some linemen, some blockers out in front of you. You you just go. Yeah, I mean, he was just – that was one of his best – easily his best game of the year. That's something to really look forward to is his involvement in the passing game. Him and Lee, it seems like the past couple of weeks they've both shown some sort of ability after the catch. They just show what they're capable of as runners. There was a couple times throughout most of the game, no one, like, you didn't see, like, a linebacker out there on him or you didn't see a corner in the flat out there on him. It'd just be, all right, I'm going to go through my first, second, third, and maybe fourth read, and if it's not there, I'll just dump it off to Talwood. Credit to Strong for, one, going through those reads, and two, recognizing he still has time to complete the check down. If, yeah. it's not a, if it's not on a design play, if that's not his first read. And I know we keep going back and forth, but just to touch on this offense again, one of your key takeaways or key your keys to the game for our keys to victory keys to victory on our preview was keep strong upright credit to the offensive line they did another pretty solid job and allowing strong to get through a couple reads i mean there's a couple times where there was missed assignments he they sacked four times i'd still take it I don't know, just being able to go through some of those reads and to make the plays they did downfield, it requires solid pass protection. I mean, they, I mean, Utah State was pressuring them more in the second half, or at least as opposed to, like, beginning of the game. Beginning of the game, they were putting some pressure on them. Second half, they were putting some pressure on them. But, I mean, there were some missed assignments across the offensive line, which is, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I would like to not have, not allow four sacks to Carson Strong. Oh, most definitely. And I think he showcased on that first touchdown pass the ability to scramble a little bit outside the pocket, make another accurate throw. That's credit to him. You can tell he's been working on it. I know switching over to the defensive side of things in that second half, at least for Utah State, we see the appearance of Andrew Peasley for a drive or two. Yeah, that was rough. That was not good. No, that was not. 
good at all. Completed just one of seven passes. Just not accurate at all. For five yards. Nice. <laughs> he he just didn't look comfortable. He looked inaccurate. He just looked so jittery. And once again, this Utah State team was just... Outside of the first few minutes, they didn't look good. You can see why the upper echelon teams like SDSU and Boise State dominated them. You can you can see why. I mean, it's that that second half was ugly for them. And credit once again to our defense to just keeping everything at bay, always collapsing the pocket and just, you know, focusing on their assignments. And if it wasn't for a couple sacks on Strong, we would be put in better situations to potentially score six instead of three. It's okay because we have Brandon Talton. The one and only, but that's just something we can build upon going right, forward. Right. And once again, the run game just continues to kind of steal the show in that second half with that 60-yard run by Toa Tawa. Very impressive burst. He's got some speed and quickness to him down the sideline there. That was, I, It wasn't as impressive, obviously, as his touchdown run, but just to get to the open field in the second level of the defense was awesome. Did you think he was gone? I thought so. I, I, I thought I so. I didn't. I thought someone was going to catch him. <sighs> you know, you hold out. I don't think he has the breakaway speed no. to go 90 yards, 95 yards, but he's fast. He but is. he's not going to – I don't think he's going to outrun a safety. Yeah. You know, when, when you see plays like that, you kind of hold out hope that, oh, you know, he's got this. He's going to go all the way after you, he reaches past midfield. But, you know, members of the secondary kept, caught up to him. But – once again, move the chains, keep the clock milking, you know, keep it dropped, and just heading into that fourth quarter, more of the same, just dominant on both sides of the ball. Didn't see Strong much. He was taken out, obviously, as we mentioned, for Nate Cox. So we see a Nate Cox appearance for the first time at Nevada. That was cool. I mean, I know he didn't really throw the ball much. He only had two pass attempts, one of two for 10 yards. Still something, nonetheless, and... At that point, it was just to keep <laughs> keep the lead at bay, a 25-point lead. And if you haven't noticed already, yeah, we facing a 9-0 deficit. Nevada scored 34 unanswered. Statement. I mean, that's what you have to do. If you want to show you're the better football team after the way we played in Logan last year, that's a huge statement win. Nevada's had three wins already this season to teams they lost to last season. I mean, we just keep talking about this this year and this team. Something about it's different. You can just tell they're hungry, they want it, and they just— it's, They're hungry like a pack of wolves. Yeah. Go figure, right? It's, <laughs> it, it just seems like each week, too, there's something new. There's some sort of new development offensively or defensively that can really be observed and examined. And this week, I'll, I'll just tip my cap to the balanced offensive game and— just the improvement defensively, you know, just staying strong after facing a 9-0 to deficit like that. You know, those are two aspects you can really lean on and be happy with as a whole. Do you have any more thoughts? No, I think that'll do it. I mean, you know. One you thing, hold on. Nevada and San Jose State are the only two undefeated teams in the Mountain West. I mean, Two Mountain West powerhouses. The teams, powers. That, the two teams that we expected coming in the season, were just going to absolutely just rail on every single team in the conference. Or Nevada and San Jose State. Oh yeah, did you expect anything less from San Jose State this year? I mean, my goodness. Did you expect anything else on Friday night? No, not at all. I was definitely not expecting a loss from San Jose State because they are so good. Yeah, ne- yeah, neither did I. You know what? Maybe one of the advantages of having a Thursday night game was just seeing the rest of the conference like implode. Some of these, you know, some of the top upper echelon teams losing on Friday and Saturday. We will take it. We're I mean, watching from our couch. Did you see any of the Boise State BYU game? I saw, Zach Wilson is yeah. so good. I know you touched upon it. He's so good. He's special. He's really good. Talk about. Wow. A top four, top five quarterback in this next year's draft class. He's quarterback for BYU. He is that kid is talented. What he can do mobily as well, and just yeah. outside the pocket, like 
yeah, that's going to be used in the NFL. So <laughs> if, if he gets with the right offensive mind, watch out because he is special. And doesn't help that Boise State was missing Hank Bachmeyer, Jack Sears for most of the game. And they were on like their fourth or fifth string quarterback. And then they were without Holani. They were just without everyone. They were kind of decimated, but you know what? Kind of. Definitely decimated. <laughs> Understatement. Credit BYU. They're one of the best group of five teams in the West. That was an impressive performance. But yeah, Nevada will take it. I know that's one of the things we can touch upon is just like how well they've been able to perform. And they will definitely take some losses from Boise State, SDSU, and upset victories like SJSU, San Jose State, with what they're doing starting 3-0 and in the year. Credit to them. I know we kind of played a little joke on them, but you know what? Who would have thought Nevada and San Jose State to this point would be leading the conference? 2020, man. That's it. 2020. And San Jose State was, was uh, without Starkle for most of the game. They had to, Nick Nash looked incredible, but... Credit to them. I mean, it's a big win. That's and a huge win. On the road, too. On the road. Double-digit underdogs. San Jose State. Mountain West powerhouse. Nevada and San Jose State Mountain West Championship. Watch it happen. Nevada's last game of the season is against San Jose State. Could it just be like two straight weeks? I'd, how funny would that be? I don't know. We're looking ahead. But, <laughs> you know, One more thing. We did a poll yesterday on who was the best player, who's pretty much the team MVP versus Utah State. The answers came in. We had... People on our list were Carson Strong, Romeo Debs, and Toa Towel, and of course the other will we want to give you guys another option if you have an MVP, such as Brandon Talton. Yeah, most definitely. Um, but the winner was Romeo Dubs, fifty nine point one percent. We didn't do it last week against UNLV because I mean, it would have been Dubs again. Oh yeah, definitely. But you know, just that first half, electric. Can't blame him. I mean, he was spectacular, but congratulations, Romeo Dubs. I bet you've heard that a lot <laughs> these past few weeks. Keep Not it up. Not just from us. Not. Oh, yeah. No. Plenty. Plenty of others. So, yeah, I mean, to wrap things up, is there anything you wanted to talk about? No. Um, what about you? No, I, I think that will do it. I mean, I think we touched on everything and just looking forward to going up against New Mexico, which we'll obviously get into for our preview. We be back in Las Vegas. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Rhymes there. I've been. I don't know if you've been noticing. I've been spitting some bars this whole podcast. I I haven't been. I don't know if you've been seeing the smile on my face after you, a few lines, but are they good rhymes? They are. You know the listeners. They're 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 paying attention because I got I got a flow. I can I can do a couple of things. Hmm. Anyways, that should do it for this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, our New Mexico recap will, become, will come out later this week. Uh, <laughs> thank you again. Have a good week.